Every company has breakdowns in their revenue process. Sure thing deals slip into next quarter, competitors creep in and swipe deals away at the last minute, and deals getting single threaded that don't get to power. These are just a few examples of revenue leak, but there are a ton more, and they're preventing your team from reaching their sales targets. That's why I'm such a big fan of Clary's revenue platform. It's the only tool that actually helps leaders take control of their revenue and thrive through any market conditions, especially when things get tough. You can't afford to miss a single detail, but you also can't be leading by gut. Clary combines the science and the art of sales and sales leadership. So go to Clary.com if you want to answer the most important question in your business. Are you going to meet, beat, or miss on revenue? Welcome to the Live Better, Sell Better podcast with your host, Kevin Dorsey of Inside Sales Excellence, the number one Patreon group and YouTube channel for tech sellers and tech sales leaders, where we dive in deep for tactical advice on how to book more meetings, close more deals faster, and lead sales teams to success. But we don't stop there. We also focus on the person in salesperson. We talk about mindset, goals, time management, and so much more. So thank you for listening. And if you're interested, head on over to patreon.com slash inside sales excellence. Now with that, grab a notepad, get ready, and let's dive into the good stuff. What up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Live Better, Sell Better podcast. This is your host, Kevin Dorsey, a.k.a. KD. And today we are talking about the future of work now, because I believe that the future of work is already here. And yet so many of us as leaders and as companies are trying to adapt, to transform, to figure out how do we do this the right way? How do you give your team autonomy while at the same time giving structure? How do you give people flexibility and freedom while at the same time getting results? How do you give people this remote working space but still hold people accountable? It is a really hard problem to solve, which is why I'm so excited to have Beth Jacobs on the show with me today. She's the chief growth officer over at VChief, and this is where she is focused. This is what she's passionate about on how can we do work right now and looking into the future. So I'm pumped for this topic today. Beth, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Super excited to be here, Katie. This, this is going to be a good one. So I got to ask the first question of why this topic, right? When I asked you what, what you want to talk about, what you're focused on, this was what came up. You said the future of work and autonomy, flexibility, accountability. Why is this so top of mind for you right now? Uh, I think it's been top of mind for me most of my career. I think most folks have found that um, work doesn't work for them. Um, it's something that is obviously required in order to pay the bills and um, do all of the things you want to do in life. Um, but it doesn't work for most people the way it has been traditionally set up. Um, and so much of how we work today has been set up, you know, 100 plus years ago in a different time, a different era and um, a different just a different place. So um, what I found over my career is where I thrive um, is not in a traditional work setting. 
and I think that's true for a lot of folks out there. So um, that's why it's top of mind for me. And I think that um, developing a new way to work and um, can only bring our businesses forward at a much faster clip. And I want to touch on this word you said, which is thrive, right? So like I didn't thrive in like the, the normal work setting because we'll unpack how work came to be in here in a second. Mm-hmm. Like how did you... I asked this question, like, how did you figure out how you thrived or that it wasn't working for you? Right. Cause that one's different. That one has different styles and needs, but like how, what did you pick up on where you were finally like, no, like this isn't working for me. Like there has to be a better way. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, um, and I will, you know, full disclosure, I've been working from home since 2009. Um, so it's been a, a long road. Um, I think the, there were many things over the years and in different roles and positions. And when I say I wasn't thriving, don't get me wrong. I was still performing. Mm-hmm. Um, I was always, you know, at the, the top, um, of the list. And I actually, that's what has provided me with flexibility and with more autonomy when other folks weren't given that same, that same level. So that's why I've been working from home from 2009, um, and I think that um, the there were a lot of indicators around um, when I worked in an office, the social scene that a lot of folks have. Um, I was working um, so many hours, probably 70, 80 hours a week, because what I realized is during the day, there's so much politicking going on in the office that I'm going to go in and I'm going to politic all day and then I have to get my work done. And then that's happening at night. Um, and I, I can't imagine, I know for some folks, um, they enjoy the like office dynamic and I do to an extent and I, I miss those parts of it to an extent, but not all day, every day. Um, like I come to work because I want to accomplish things and I enjoy what I do. Um, but I do not want to do it, uh, 80 hours a week anymore. <laughs> and I like that you distinguish the difference between performing and thriving, so I think that's actually a really yes. good call out because there are a lot of high performers that are not thriving, right? Living their best lives, having the energy, the relationships that they want or they need, but they're performing. So they're like, well, this must be the the way. Great. And yes. so break, break down the history of work for me real quick. Cause I love that you called this out of like, you know, how we're working now this, I mean, obviously I don't remember the last time I was working nine to five. I don't think I've ever worked nine to five, but conceptually nine <laughs> to five, yeah. right? Like in an office, all those things. Talk about kind of that evolution of work. So I think the backstory here would help people have a better understanding of like where even like the eight hour day work came yeah. from and all of that. So break that down for everyone, because I think the history here is very interesting. Yeah. And I think, um, and I, I am no expert in like labor relations and, um, and, and the, the history of work. But my understanding is that a lot of that came out, um, from, you know, the, the, um, Ford production lines, um, and where the eight hour workday came from five days a week. Um, all, all of that narrative came from that place. And at that time, that was a concession. Um, that was a, a smaller amount of time that it, that, um, folks were working before and that Ford felt that folks needed to be able to thrive. And so that was progress at that time. And now it's been a hundred (laughs) years and, um, 
that hasn't really changed. And I would say in, um, professional settings in the, in, um, um, a lot of work settings, folks are not even working eight hour days. They are working 60, 70, 80 hours a week. And, um, my question there is, are folks actually accomplishing more in that time or less? And my belief is that 100% they are accomplishing less. There have been many studies done that says that most folks have about four, or I'm sorry, five to seven hours of true productivity in their day. Not, not work time. Like you can do a lot during work time, right? The chitty chat, the like, all of the other things, sit in, sit in on this webinar, listen to it, consider it part of your work day, um, and do a lot of other, a lot of other things that are or are not productive. And so, um, there, there's been a lot of research. There's been a lot of, um, new information uncovered. And yet folks are really married to the nine to five, um, and in professional office environments, especially with new technology where folks can be available 24 seven and that it has gone to a whole new level of, um, burnout and honestly, a lack of engagement. It, it, it's crazy, right? I like how it is. I think very similar studies. I think some of the more recent ones are like two to three hours of productive work per day. At a time. And, and like in chunks. Right, in chunks. Not like, not flow yes. state. Like I got 15 minutes here. I got a, maybe a 20 minute burst over here. Two to three hours of productive work per day yes. is what they are seeing in the knowledge worker space, which is just insane, right? But yes. then people are still working nine, 10, 11 hour days. And it's like, what are we working on? Right? Like, yes. Where is that time going? And what always cracks me up about Ford, right? You know, cause like Ford did, Ford was <laughs> yeah. the one that like, you know, he'd made the concession. He shortened the yes. hours, but a lot of people forget why he did it. Okay. Ford was a capitalist. What he realized, if people were working 12 hours, they couldn't spend money. If they were working from seven to seven, they didn't need a car. Right. They wouldn't, in, they buying weren't buying cars. things because they were always at work. So he conceded so people could spend, so they'd have to work so he could mm -hmm. keep them in the cycle. Like the dude knew what he was doing yeah. in all this. That's and yet here we are hundred years later, nine to five, nine to five. And for a lot of people, it's eight to five to seven to dinner time to nine to a little bit of email cleanup, wake up and do yes. it all over again. And so, I, yeah, I read an interview with a woman recently who said, um, who lives off the grid and, um, and they were like, well, how long does it take you to build a fire and to like make your meals and all of this? And she's like, you know, it takes a long time. And she's like, but it's amazing to me what people will do to avoid building a fire. Like you're still, you're still, you're doing all of these things to avoid the fire, like doing what, what I'm doing, but I don't have to do what you do. And don't get me wrong. I'm uh, not going off the grid. Okay. Yeah. Um, I guess we all have <laughs> visions of that now. Like I'm looking at buying some land. Like, oh, it'd be nice just to really, really unplug. So talk, let's go down this path here of like, how much of that is self-inflicted, kind of what you yes. were just talking about, versus the environment work is creating? Because I think there's two sides 
of this, right? Like, I love that analogy. Like, people will avoid making the fire. No one's making them avoid making Mm -hmm. the fire. That's so talk about first, like, the self inflicted. Like, what are things that as an individual I can and should be doing to thrive in work? And then we can talk about what companies and leaders can be doing to help people thrive in work. Yes. So, part of my, um, my work history is that I, um, definitely some self-inflicted, uh, work there. I mean, absolutely. I started working when I was 15. I was like, I want to go to college. There's no way my parents are going to pay for it. So I need to work and I need to be good at it. And I need to make as much money as I can so that I can go to college and not have much debt and do all of those things. And so at a very young age, um, that is what worked for me. I worked at an amusement park and I worked my way up the little corporate uh, rides department ladder and, you know, worked 50 hours a week while going to school full time, 80 hours a week in the summer. And when I graduated from college, I was like, 40 hours a week, this feels like nothing. So what did I do? I worked more. And the problem is that you get into a cycle where that is rewarded, right? Like you're going to work. I can, I can have you instead of hiring two people. Um, and you know, that, so that it, it worked for me for a while, right? It uh, helped me get where I am today. Um, I was rewarded for it. And so it has taken me many years to break some of those habits. And it's still something that I have to consciously do every day. Um, and so some of that is very self-inflicted. Um, and then the other half of that is that it is rewarded. People love it um, when you are willing to give it your all, right? But should you be giving your all to work? Or should there be something left for the rest of your life? And so um, there are people and organizations who are willing to take your all. Um, And I think the, um, the, so you get rewarded for it. So I do think that there's two, two, there's two sides of it at every, at every piece. Um, I think with the culture that like we are, you know, building at V chief. And part of what I found in my years of consulting is that, um, people might be willing to give their all for a while. And that might work for you for a little while, might work for both sides. Um, It will not work for long. It will not work for the long term. There is a sustainability factor that every individual needs for their lives and then every business needs in order to, to move them forward. This might be a loaded question here, but, but I'm going to ask it because I struggle with this internally as well. Do you think if you, if you went back and did it differently, mm-hmm. do you think <laughs> you'd be in the situation you are now? This is what I struggle with sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's almost like we have to go through it to get to this enlightened place of like, you know what? Maybe that wasn't all worth it. But at the same time, would I be in this situation if I hadn't? So like, what are your thoughts there? Because I struggle with this topic internally is like, you know, I'm talking to people younger in their careers and letting Mm -hmm. them know like, hey, like, 
you know, it's not all about this, but at the same time, it's like, can they get to this, you know, this place of freedom, this place of autonomy if they don't do that early? So talk, talk a little bit about that. I'm really curious. On your- yeah, that's a tough question. Cause mm-hmm. it, and I, it brings up a lot of different things. And I think around like how, what opportunities people have at a young age. Mm -hmm. and like what their network is at a young age and um, how all of those pieces fit together. So I'm going to put that piece aside for Mm -hmm. a minute um, and more focus on just the, the root of your question. Um, There's, I I would say, I don't, I don't know. I think that um, every piece of my work and life experience have gotten me to where I am today, whether it was a terrible work experience, whether it was like an amazing mentor or boss that I had along the way, both of those things have, have brought me to this place. Now, looking back, do I look and see at all of those hours that I were, that I was working and I was performing? Could I have performed better actually, if I had worked less? Like I remember one moment where, um, you know, it's probably one o'clock in the morning and I'm working on something to get to my boss and I like shoot her a message and she writes me back and is like, my advice to you in this moment is go to bed. <laughs> and she's like, this answer will be clear to you in the morning. And she's like, it's not clear to me. It's 1 a.m. It's not going to be clear to you either. I wake up and I'm like, okay, I go to bed. I get up the next morning and I'm like, oh yeah. And I like finish the thing in like 15 minutes. So like, you know, was I, you know, it's the whole, like, what do people value? What am, And so like my boss at that moment did not value the fact that I was working at 1am, but so many cultures do. And so if people can think about what they are valuing in the fact that you are working so hard um, and what that actually means in terms of what you are producing and how you are performing. So looking back, I'm not sure, honestly, and it was, you know, times have changed a lot. I'm not sure if I would be here um, at that moment if I hadn't put in all of that time. Um, but I can say that... Um, I do think that I would have performed even better had I um, felt that I was able to work less. No, and I I think that's the key on all this is like there's working more and there's getting the right things done. There's working Mm -hmm. more and having quality of work. One, I've had very Mm -hmm. similar conversations like with my managers, right? Like I get a ding on the weekend that they're updating the one-on-one doc or I get an email late at night and I'm like, you better stop right now. Like, I don't know why you're working on this on a Sunday afternoon, because to me, that's actually a sign of something else. Either we're not focused during the week, the way that we need to be or something else is happening here because I don't want you working on this on Sunday. That's not what it's there for. Right. And yes. I think it's important as leaders that like, I'll recognize hard work, but I, I'm, I'm not an effort hound. I'm an efficiency hound. Like yes. get it done. I don't yes. want it. If it's taking you 10 hours, we need to talk about Let's why. Let's talk about that. Like, like yes. I, with, even with my team, same as like, I'm hearing, Oh, like, Oh, like you're putting all these extra hours. Why? Like, it's not, 
it, it's something's wrong here right now. So let's, let's yes. shift this to the leadership side, right? Cause I know yes. a lot of leaders, you know, are dealing with it struggling with this. Like, okay, I, I hear you, Beth. Yeah. Great. Cool. Utopian idea. How, how do I make sure that, you know, people are getting the right things done while giving this sort of mm-hmm. autonomy or freedom to, to do it. Like, let's talk about now how leadership can maybe set this tone a little bit better. Yeah, it comes from the top. A hundred percent. If um, if your leader is getting pressure, they are going to put that pressure on you most of the time, not all of the time, unless they are like a really fantastic leader. Um but yes, I, I remember, and that, back to kind of your question around internal versus external um, pressure. Um, when I first got kids, we went different route, foster care. Um, I got kids on a Friday afternoon and uh, I had just traveled for two weeks straight. And you know what my boss said? You can take a couple days off, but make sure you get this report done before 9 a.m. Monday morning. And so there, that is where it has to come. It has to come from the top. You cannot survive in your um, job thinking that you yourself can be the one who's going to make all of the change um, and live a, you know, a healthy, sustainable life. So as leaders, um, it comes down to finding a fit for you in an organization um, that values the same things that you value and then ensuring that um, that is the leadership that you are giving to your team. So for example, um, I did do consulting for a few years and honestly, most of it was because I was like, work isn't working for me. I'm going to make it work for me. And then uh, I started with VChief um, because this was the place where I felt that I could be myself and that it was a place that upheld the same values that I have. And so whatever your values are, um, you need to explore that, figure out what they are and find a place that values the same things. And it's okay if folks out there don't value the same things that I do. It's not a problem. Um, everyone can, can, should, and can do what is important to them. Um, but I think it's about finding that fit and finding a place that has the same, the same outlook that you do. And I think, and that's where I think actually a lot of founders and leaders sometimes mess up is they push either their values down or they mm-hmm. feel like, all right, well, I'm not asking my people to work this way. This is just how I work. And they yes. forget how yes. that actually plays out, right? No, I don't yes. want my people working on the weekend. No, I would never want that. But your whole team knows you work on the weekends. Yes. You're going to create that dynamic. You're going to create that that culture, right? That was actually something that happened with my team when I moved. So I was in L.A., moved to, to Austin. <laughs> and, you know, I, I start work at 6am, always have. Mm-hmm. That's what I do. And what started happening, right, is I, I was starting at six. Most of my team was still a couple hours behind. So like, you know, I'm sending slacks and, you know, emails out mm-hmm. at you know, four o'clock in the morning. And people started responding 
at seven o'clock oh, my yeah. time, <laughs> at my time. And it actually took me like a couple of weeks to go say, wait, 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 wait. It is five o'clock in the, what on earth are you doing? <laughs> responding to this email right now. They're like, oh, well, I mean, you know, you sent it out. So I wanted to make sure I got to it. I was like, oh, oh Jesus. Right. So like, I would like leave a lot of things unsaid. I was just getting my work done, but I wouldn't send them there until mm -hmm. I knew the team was up and going because they'll, they'll mirror that. Even if you're not trying to set that up, it just happens because you're the leader and people look yeah, to yeah. it. So I would say, okay. I would say yes. And though, actually to that. Ooh, yes. So we, um, we have definitely had that issue at Chief, but our, uh, entire idea is that you work when it works for you. And so if you get a slack from the CEO at 10 o'clock on a Saturday night, you know, there's a good chance she's in Egypt. And she's working when it works for her. And that doesn't mean that that has to work for you. And so um, we actually, folks do work. They might work on the weekend. They might work at, uh, they might be in a different time zone in a different country. They might, they're, you know, that that's kind of what we do is do it when it works for you and be very clear with folks that that is not when they need to work. And so, um, you know, the, the, I used to be a more of that, like, you know, okay, schedule send and do all of that. And now I'm more of like, everybody's working when it, when, when it works for them and that's okay. But you have to be clear with people and say like, you should not be working <laughs> just because it's a time that I am working or the CEO is working. Or yeah. like and that was, that was the message that had to be conveyed because I had conveyed it. That's why it caught me so off guard is yeah. we had always talked that way, but all of a sudden how I worked changed. Mm -hmm. And as their leader, I think that even without asking for it, they're like, oh, well that's when our leader likes to work. So that means that's when I need to work. And it's like, no, no, no. No, no, yes. no, no. That's just me working. You, yes. you get into your day like the the normal way, and I think that's just the the key to to all of it. Now, real quick, as we start to wrap here, I really want to talk about like these two A words: autonomy and accountability. Yes, because these are hard, right? As yes. as leaders, in terms of like how do we balance autonomy with accountability? I would love yes. to kind of get your thoughts here. So, um. We do have a work when it works for you schedule. We um, have technically, we call it a four day work week, but what we have is, and I think that helps with the piece that we were just talking about. There's always going to be people working when you're not working and you're going to be working when other people aren't working. It's not a big deal. It's, it's not like a set day or anything like that. It's just work your, you know, 32 hours, get your stuff done. We have meetings on pretty much for the most part, just on Tuesdays and Thursdays, sometimes on Mondays, come to your meetings, get your shit done. Nobody cares. Um, and at the same time, that means there is a high level of, there has to be a high level of accountability um, as individuals and as leaders. So uh, being very clear on what metrics that, that uh, are expected for folks to hit when they're expected to hit them um, and clear communication if things are not going well. So um, it, 
everybody comes to be chief because they think they're going to love the culture. Let me tell you, that does not work for everyone. Mm -hmm. It works for some people. And for some people, it is amazing. They love it. They have everything that they wanted for a job. We have recruited people. Our team is made up of people who left the workforce because work wasn't working for them. We have amazing high performers while everybody else was like, there's a talent crisis. We didn't have a crisis. We were recruiting amazing people. We have the best sales team I have ever managed in my life. And um, the reason for that is because this works for them. Now we've had other folks who come on and it did not work for them. They hadn't worked from home before. They had um, distractions that uh, did not work for them. They wanted to leave their house, go somewhere, turn off life. Um, they had other people in their lives who potentially um, want to, uh, who don't understand what work from home means <laughs> and the flexibility means and uh, want you to do other things when you, you want to be working. Yes. Um, and so there is a huge amount of uh, self-awareness that's needed on how you work and how you um, don't work. And then there is a huge amount of personal accountability and the ability for a leader to also hold you accountable. Um, you know, it's, it's like having kids, right? If they're doing their homework, am I talking to them about doing their homework? No. Nope. As soon as those grades slip, mom's got something Thank to say. Thank you. Thank and <laughs> it's the same thing in the workplace. Everything's going great. Great. I, you know, I wonderful. Let's keep going. Let's talk about your growth and what, what you need and, um, you know, how, how you, you want to grow your career and all of those things. And at the same time, I'm going to be looking at the, like, what's important. You know, we haven't grown 500% with everyone working whenever they want and wherever they want um, by not not holding folks accountable to their jobs and their metrics. And so that, I mean, there it, you do not get flexibility or autonomy without accountability. I was just going to pull it back to something you said at the very beginning that I didn't want people to miss. I earned the autonom autonomy and flexibility yes. through performance. I was performing. In fact, I was a high performer, right? And this is something that I think gets lost in translation a lot of times. Is like if you are performing, yes. autonomy and flexibility show up. And generally, truthfully, they a should. lot of high perf they should, right? And if they don't, those, yes. then your high performers will leave. Because yes. they're like, no, like I'm performing and I'm still being managed yes. this way deuces i'm out i'm not going to yes. deal with that but then what happens is you have the top performers and then you have the rest looking and going well i want that yes why, why beth doesn't have to come in the office so why do yes because beth <laughs> is at 200 percent of her goal mm -hmm. you get to 200 percent of your goal you can have it too and so i, I do think there's been this pushback on understanding what our results are in our job. If you are hitting yes. them, hit them. But if you're not, that's when you get held accountable is if you're not producing what you're supposed to produce, 
that's when there's a little bit more tightness or structure to get on track with that. So like talk, talk about yes. that a little bit just around like, you know, maybe having some of those tough conversations. I know a lot of leaders is like, okay, we're remote now. I don't really know what Beth's mm-hmm. doing out there. Like yeah. it, maybe <laughs> she's doing her job. Maybe she's not. The results are okay. They're not good, but they're not bad. Like talk about that a little bit, especially in this remote world. Yes. So the, um, I mean, the first part is clarity, right? What are the metrics that we're trying to hit and why are they important? So if a leader can't clarify what they expect from their team, whether it's a sales team or anything else, uh, it, it's you're not going to get anything um, because people aren't working on the things that they should be working on to move the organization forward. So first thing is like clarity of role and clarity of expectations. And now that's easy to say if you've been in a company who's been around for a long time in a smaller business where things are constantly changing as they are at Chief and a lot of other businesses, um, that's much harder to do. So um, it really is breaking it down for that individual and their role of what are the things that must be moved forward. And people, we cannot move everything forward at the same pace at the same time. So what are those top things that have to move in order to move the organization, the team forward? Get into those things, um, be clear about them, and then have those conversations. And, you know, if there is one thing I learned managing rides at an amusement park, it, it was document. <laughs> Document, document. So like what is happening? What's going well? What isn't going well? And be really clear with folks. Look, it's it, this piece of your job is going really well. This is not. What's going on here? Do you need support? Do you not enjoy the job? Is this not what you expected? Is this, is this environment working for you? Is it not working for you? Have you worked from home before? Have you not? What are the what are the the pieces that you need to be successful? And so um, those are a lot of the conversations that we have if things maybe are not going as well. Yeah. I, and then of I, course- I love that. Cause it-, it Documentation. Yeah. So like one of my favorite business books is not a business book. It's the Checklist Manifesto. Oh, I haven't read that. Oh, you, you will love it. Because also you've lived it, especially in an amusement park, right? Like the whole concept. Yeah, I was like, when you say checklist, it gives me a little trauma. Well, yeah, yeah, I know, like, I, 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 I cover this, like amusement park one, like there, there's a checklist. And what the whole concept Everything. of the book is actually written by a surgeon. It's not written by a business person. It's not written by leaders. It's written by a surgeon. And talking about how checklists, right, reduce death rates in hospitals. They reduce infection rates. They reduce, you know, how long people stayed in bed, right? Like all just from the simple checklist of like, hey, did you change their IV today? Mm -hmm. Like, what are those things that are necessary? Same idea. What do pilots do before every flight? They go through their pre-flight checklist, right? And the whole concept there is, to your point, the documentation of best practices, Mm-hmm. Right. You don't got to checklist everything like, OK, did I log in? Yes, I logged in. Did I check? My email? <laughs> no, no, it's not that. But it's like, did you check 
every individual's seatbelt on the ride. Yes, exactly. Did you ensure that the surge protector was flipped mm -hmm. to whatever? Like, those are like the make or break things that, you know what? Yes. We should checklist it. And to your point, I, with my teams, we talk about the D3 method, which was define, mm -hmm. document, demonstrate. Define yes. what good looks like, document it, and then demonstrate it. Show teach coach what good looks like because yes. that's the only way to make it repeatable especially in this remote world because people aren't seeing it as much if they're not in the office if they're not next to someone making that call or hearing something oh, you need to share this stuff more remotely which yes. i think is key and so all right so as we start to wrap here i knew there's no way we're gonna keep this to 30 minutes because it's <laughs> too good of a topic right a, a lot of this already blends into the theme of you know why i started this show is this concept of live better sell better mm -hmm. right this idea of like i i have this weird idea right that if we took better care of ourselves if we had more energy if we knew what made us thrive if we held ourselves more responsible so we didn't have to be held accountable like we'd also sell better. The results would be better as well. So what would yes. your live better advice be for people listening? And it might be in line with what we've been talking about, or it might be something completely different, but like, what would that parting live better advice be? Um, I think the live better is really get to know yourself. Um, and that is much harder than it sounds. Um, and you might need to get to know yourself um, through what other people tell you. Some of the best, my self-awareness has come from other people telling me something and I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> good or, or not so great. Um, so listen to others and get to know yourself um, because what I'm saying works for me may not work for you and that is okay. Um, but get to know where and how you thrive and find it. I was hoping you'd come back to that word because that was how you described it at the beginning. Like, this is how I thrived in understanding what does bring the best out of you, but being open to other people's opinions. I think that's phenomenal. Oh, yeah. Like, I haven't heard it phrased that way before. And I love it. Like, a lot of my self-awareness came from third-party feedback, which yes. is true. Like, I've, I've never thought about it that way. Because if you do, if you're just sitting there, your viewpoint is different than how yes. other people can see. We all have blind spots. We all yes. have blind spots. So, and on both ends, the good stuff and the bad stuff. Somebody gave me positive feedback and I was like, who are you talking about? Yes. And they're like, you, you do that. And I was like, really? Oh, Interesting. All right. Yeah. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll do that I'll do a little that. more. Then. Everybody doesn't do that. Yeah. Uh, Beth, this was amazing. Where, where can people get more um, from you? Where are you putting out contact? Where can they, they, or content? Where can they find you? Like, where can they get more Beth Jacobs in their lives? <laughs> LinkedIn and Twitter. Okay. Yeah. Or, or, uh, where I am the most. Well, we will include those in the show notes, everybody. Beth, thank you so much for, for your time, your energy, your insights. This was this is phenomenal. We'll probably have to do a part two for sure. Thank you so much for having me. This is so fun. Hell yeah. And this is like, the, I can talk about this for days. So. Well, we'll do, we'll, we'll keep it going because I think a lot still needs to be covered here. So appreciate you, Beth. Thank you. Thanks so much. Wow.